becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. Yeah, I feel better. Yeah. Would you ever tell me if one of your friends was like, that other guy, I don't know, you could probably carry it by yourself. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's anything I wouldn't tell you. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, I trust you completely. <laughs> We should cheers again yeah, we since we too. fixed technical glitches. Cheers, cheers to the shores. Shores. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the technical shores. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. How, off do you wanna, how, how, how are we going to <laughs> how <am I> get <laughs> off? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this reminds me of that thing I sent you. Uh, the guy was asking. Uh, you had to beat off all those men to get that position. Oh, the newscaster. <laughs> yeah. The guy just about loses just it. Inappropriate content. Uh-huh. Yeah. <clears throat> she didn't um, understand what she was saying. <laughs> well, I, I have a place I want to take us, all right. but I'm not exactly sure how to get into it. I have, I have an idea. All right. Let's just flow with it and then uh, flow with it. Yeah. See if we can get a flow, uh-huh. a flow going. A flow. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I want to start with a story about my weekend. So I traveled to New York for the weekend, which is the first time I'd flown since pre COVID, which was kind of crazy. And I was very excited about it because I really like flying a lot. Um, and I was very excited to go to New York and see what it felt like to be somewhere that wasn't in Texas and what it would feel like, you know, with the, the COVID pressure or societal response and the way that it would differ. Mm-hmm. Um, was a bit nervous about it, but also very excited and as I was coming home, I, I, I had this long set of thoughts on the plane ride home. And that's kind of what I want to get into. But I got to start with this story, which is that, um, you know, I, I think here in Texas, y- you pretty much can live without wearing a mask. Um, I mean, really 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't think I've worn a mask in, gosh, I don't know. Yeah. Six months at least, mm-hmm. maybe a year. Um, you know, but my understanding was that airports and airplanes are still very serious about masking. And so my expectation was that I would be wearing a mask during this trip. Fine, whatever. So I <clears throat> showed up to the Austin airport and I put my mask on and I walked inside and I walked up to, you know, get in the security line. Which, by the way, I realized on the way home that I paid for that clear service oh, uh-huh. like two years ago uh-huh. <laughs> and forgot that I had it. Mm-hmm. So I was standing in security for no reason. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, that was money wasted. But um, so standing in the security line with my mask on and the line was quite, quite long. And I'm looking around, you know, and this person in front of me is on the phone. And since they're on their phone, they've got their mask down below their chin. And someone else is drinking some water or whatever. They've got their mask down below their chin. Most people have it down below their nose. Nobody seems uncomfortable with any of this. And I just thought, well, this is asinine. And everyone's wearing either cloth or surgical masks, which is pretty widely accepted that those are not doing anything for us. So I just thought, all right, I'm just going to take mine off. And so I just took it off and wore it in my hand. 
word in my hand. I held it in my <laughs> hand and nobody seemed uncomfortable with this. You know, I kind of like was checking the vibes of the people around me. Like, is this okay? And everybody was like, nobody said anything. And there was TSA people walking around and nobody said anything. So I finally just put it in my pocket, went up to, you know, talk to the person to go into the security. You know, you, you show your ID to the first person to go into the line where you have to take your shoes off and do all of that. And he said hello and smiled at me and asked for my ID. I gave it to him. He made some comment about, whether or not I might be Matthew McConaughey. And <laughs> I felt very flattered because yeah, I've never you. really got that. <laughs> um, and uh, walked on through, went and got in the line, took my shoes off, did that whole deal. No one said anything. And I thought, well, isn't this strange? What's going on with this? Got into the, you know, the inside and you basically you're, you're hanging out waiting for your flight. And, Essentially, half the people have masks on and half the people don't. And most of the people that don't have masks on are either eating or drinking in a way. It's like we, we accept this as like that's an acceptable reason not to have a mask on mm -hmm. as if you're at lower risk of spreading disease, which is, you know, um, stupid. <laughs> uh -huh. And so I just didn't wear it. <clears throat> and I went, boarded the plane, didn't wear it sat down, didn't wear it. No one has said anything. No one seems uncomfortable. You know, I'm not getting any sort of weird looks or anything. And I just thought, well, I'm going to, you know, if somebody asked me to wear one, I'll wear one. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I just I was more like curious about where are we hmm. as a people with this? Yeah. Um, and so finally, uh, we, we take off and stewardess comes around and so far no one said anything. Stewardess comes around, asked me if I want something to drink. And I said, yeah. And I ordered something to drink. And then she asked me if I had a mask. I said, yeah, I do. And she goes, would you put it on? And I said, sure. And I, I went, to put, I had this surgical mask and I put it on and the like little elastic snapped <laughs> and she saw this. <laughs> She's like, Oh, I'll bring you another one. I said, fine. So she brought me another one and my drink. And she handed me the mask and I put it on and then she put the drink down in front of me. And so I just took it back off and I drank my drink <laughs> and I didn't put it back on the rest of the flight. And nobody said anything. And mm -hmm. I thought, okay, things are going to be different in New York. Get off the plane, walk through the whole airport. Same deal. I never put it on. No one's uncomfortable. No one says anything. And so, <clears throat> um, and then that continued by the way, throughout my entire experience in New York, I didn't wear a mask anywhere and no one's same deal. No one said anything, you know, even all the places I went into, that had mask, you know, requirements on the doors. And I think they changed it in New York recently where, um, they're not as a city mandating it anymore. Hmm. I don't know if establishments themselves can or not, but yeah. I didn't wear one again, no problem, no issue. Mm -hmm. And so on the way home, I, I went through this test again and I actually did get the, the flight attendant on, on the way into the plane on the way home got kind of upset at me about not wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. And so I put one on and it was fine. And so I'm sitting on the plane on the way home and I'm thinking about the, all of these things. And particularly I was asking myself this question of like, well, was my experiment here? Um, was that okay for me to do that? Hmm. To test this? Yeah. Was I wrong in some way? Was I disrespectful? Was I, I don't know how else to say that. Mm -hmm. Was it okay that I did that? And I was thinking, well, 
that's kind of what I was testing was, is this okay? And there's really no other way to know if it's okay than to test it because you could ask someone, but you can't ask everyone. Yeah. So you have to test things in social situations by doing them and seeing how the social group responds. Hmm. Um, and then, and here's really the thought that I wanted to get to, because I think there's a, a, there's sort of a moral conundrum here because I thought, okay, I've observed the behavior of all of these people in two different airports, hundreds of people. No one has an issue. No one has a problem. Half the people are getting around it by other methods. You know, the bars are full, the restaurants are full, no one's wearing a mask in that situation. And we all know that that's okay. <laughs> even though there's, you know, like cognitive dissonance to even get there. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, the masking conversation is no longer about efficacy. Mm-hmm. That part is now irrelevant. Mm-hmm. We are now in a state where the only thing that can tell us what to do with masks is human behavior. Hmm. And this is where the, the point's going to get difficult for me to make. So I'd like you to tell me what you think about this and help okay. me formulate it. <clears throat> but this, this, that was the first powerful thought that I had was that the question of mask efficacy is now irrelevant. And I thought, why is that? Hmm. Why might that be true? And I think it's because if you take a group of people, let's say you're sitting at the airport terminal and there's let's say 300 people sitting there. Well, if no one there wants to wear a mask, even if they are doing it, but if no one wants to do it, then whether or not the masks are effective doesn't matter. Because if you, if the whole group doesn't want to do it, you can't make a moral case that they should do it. Because you would be going against the will of that group of people. Hmm. And you can, you can make a case to try to convince them that they, they should do it or that try to try to convince them into wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. But if no one wants to do it, the fact that they are doing it or that anyone would ask them to do it is simple. Um, it's only about control. Mm-hmm. Now, if half the people want to do it and half the people don't, then it's something different. But the, the thought experiment is, is it morally right to ask a group of people to do something that none of them want to do? Hmm. That gets really sticky uh, pretty quickly. <clears throat> so uh, it seems like there's a lot of things uh, at play, especially right now specifically. Um, a lot of the messaging is different um, than it was uh, two years ago, you know, as far as, well, we're in February still. So uh, let's just say a year and a half ago or whatever. So there was a lot of unknowns at that time and, you know, uh, masks were a way to either give people more security or certainty that they were safe, um, whether or not we go back and forth on whether or not masks were effective or not effective um, at that time. <laughs> but, uh, but there was something that was kind of like almost like a, a social pill that we all needed to kind of like you know, whether it was effective or not effective, it it, it didn't really matter at that time. It seemed to me, it was like, it felt like it made everybody a little bit more, um, socially engaging. Like they, they felt like they they could engage because there was something that they felt that they were, had control over to go about their lives in some form or form, former mat, former some way, you know, 
but I think there's like, in, as, as the, as this whole thing has gone on, the severity has definitely declined, you know, since Delta specifically and Omicron, it's like, but, but how do you take back laws? I think that's the hardest thing is our mandates is, is once something is written down, it's really hard to take it away. <clears throat> and so it does take, it does seem like there's a little bit of that social aspect of testing and approving how to move forward, you know, as far as like, are we okay with this? You know, but it does take somebody to, to kind of push on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And usually the people who come at the very, very front of that. Sometimes they're, they come into the gray area where we don't know if it's okay. You know, um, in one respect, it's like, you know, does it, does it help prevent COVID, you know? Um, and as we've kind of, found out, but sort of already knew that N95s are the only ones that have some sort of effect on this. <laughs> yeah, but you're taking this into objective <laughs> truth. And I'm uh, making, I'm trying to suggest that even if COVID is super dangerous okay, and masks are effective, mm -hmm. is it moral to ask or require a people, a group of people to wear them if none of them want to? Oh, interesting. <clears throat> well, I think this is the really difficult question of government in, in general, or those who are, because there's a lot of things we do that, you know, maybe not necessarily we want to do, but we do in order to kind of exist as a society and together, because right. you have to have laws, you have to have um, sort of social norms that allows people to, to kind of coexist together. So, so there's no getting around that. And some people want less and some people want more. Like that's, that seems like that's always the case, no matter what, mm -hmm. and you're never going to make everybody happy. Like one person's going to want no laws, nothing anarchy or, <laughs> or libertarian type right. stuff. Now other people are going to want the government to take care of everything and not have to make decisions about any parts of their life and just kind of follow the formula. Yeah. So I think that, I think you're already like, you're already kind of like testing the water of, of something that already exists, you know, as far as like, you tell me if I do these things and I'm safe. Okay. Well, I'm going to do those things and not question whether or not they're, they're effective or, or what that means socially or, or whatever it might be. So, I just, I'm just going to follow without having to not, not questioning, you know, but then you have people come along and kind of push on it and kind of question it and they can be seen as rebels or outsiders, you know, it's like, that's what Neil Young was back in the seventies, sixties, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's like he was pushing on this, on the, on the, on the government, on the, on the bureaucracy, you know, and, and that was something that is good. Cause it's like, it's like, Hey, are you for real? You know? do we all really agree with the way that our system is going and right. heading? <clears throat> and that right. was something that Neil Young represented. And then you kind of come along here later years down the road. It's like where he's, you know, taking his music off Spotify because Joe Rogan, uh, has so many followers and, you know, has a certain opinion about what Joe Rogan stands for and he wants him censored, you know? So it's, it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, as far as a society, like we need people that do push against those norms, you know, to test them. Right. And to test where everyone around them is mm -hmm. at. And the question too. Yeah. 
it's like, I'm sure like, you know, again, walking down the airport, you know, if I saw you in the airport, you know, um, I would probably be more like wearing my mask cause I just didn't want to put up with any of the bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I would see you and I'd be like, Oh, huh. I don't want to do this either. Right. Why are we doing this? Right. When's this going to be over? Like, I mean, there was even talk like mask will never not exist on airplanes anymore. Sort of like taking your shoes off, <laughs> you know, there's well, that is another thought that I had when I was standing in the TSA line, not wearing a mask and nobody cared. And I mm-hmm. thought, I mean, <laughs> what's the health risk of walking barefoot through the TSA line? Uh-huh. It can't be zero. <clears throat> yeah. Like at a gut level, I'm more worried about the hygienic consequences of being barefoot (laughs) with thousands of strangers Mm -hmm. on a tile floor (laughs) than I am of breathing the air around me. Mm -hmm. And yet we've behaved as if like, it's not even a question of whether or not we should take our shoes off. It's just what we do. Uh But wearing a mask, you definitely need to do that, I guess. Well, I, I, I do remember there was some pushback on the whole shoes thing at the beginning. Uh, it, I mean, that was, there was so much going on. I was, I just graduated college at that time, whenever nine 11 happened, but I mean, there was a shoe bomber at some point. Yeah. 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 But that was like one time <clears throat> and, and it was caught, I think. Mm-hmm. All right. So I don't want to get sidetracked yeah, so. with the shoe thing, <laughs> even though it annoys me to no, uh-huh. no end. Yeah. I hate it. It's so demeaning. <laughs> and I almost think that's what makes it effective. <laughs> I'm going to demoralize you on your way in that way. <laughs> you won't do anything crazy. That's funny. I have um, no problem with the shoe thing. The mask thing. I like, tired. Well, I, have a pro- I have a problem with both, but, um, I mean, not that I want to do it. Hmm. I think part of the point I'm trying to drive to is, well, maybe I'm having a hard time formulating this, but back to the question of, is it, is it morally justified to require a group of people to do something that they don't want to do? And I suspect that the answer is no. And I think that maybe it's hard to make that that claim because So, okay. So thought experiment. What if you get on the plane and the captain comes on the, um, intercom, he says, you know, Hey, we've decided that in our experience, almost nobody wants to wear these masks. Also planes seem to be the place safest place there's ever been against COVID. Um, so we're going to take an anonymous survey. And if a hundred percent of the people on the plane say we're comfortable not wearing masks, everybody can take their masks off and everybody says, yeah, let's take them off. Right. Mm -hmm. So then in this case, would it, would that be okay? Would that be a morally justified act to take? And you could make the claim that, well, no, it's not Mm -hmm. because someone could be sick and get other people sick. And then all of those let's say 200 people on the plane are then going to disperse out into the world Mm -hmm. and spread disease. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's an argument for people should do something against their will for the greater good of society. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is a valid argument. Yeah. Um, but a difficult one, I think, because, well, we want to present, 
prevent the spread of disease in, in society. And so we say, okay, we'll wear masks. And then you have to have a conversation about, well, is this having the desired effect? Mm-hmm. We're all doing something we don't want to do in order to obtain a benefit, an obvious benefit to society at large. Mm-hmm. Is what we're doing achieving that benefit? Because we're giving up our free will to do it. Mm-hmm. Free will is not the right word. We're going against ourselves, doing something we don't want to do. And so is it working? Mm-hmm. And then you have to have a very complicated discussion about whether or not it's working. And it's, you know, I've never really seen any compelling evidence that it, it that it's working at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then, and then you could argue about that and say, well, what's, what justifies compelling evidence that it's having the desired effect? Mm-hmm. Um, and how much effect is enough? Mm-hmm. It's like, if we all wear masks and that decreases the spread of disease by half a percent, is that worth it? And you can say, well, and what a lot of people were saying at the, the beginning of the pandemic, well, if we can save one life, that's worth it. Mm-hmm. And this line of logic works, mm-hmm. right? Because we all want to be safe. Mm-hmm. But also don't want to kill somebody. And we don't want to kill other people. But then the question becomes, well, how safe do we want to be? Mm. Because that is also a valid question. Yeah. Because for every step of safety, you give up something. Mm. Whether that's doing something you don't want to do in order to achieve safety, or not doing something you do want to do mm-hmm. to achieve safety. And I think, well, what's the <clears throat> ultimate level of safety? Yeah. And the first thing that came into my head was Neo in the matrix sitting in his little pod that they rescue him from. And he's hooked up to all the pipes. He's laying in the goo. He is bodily as safe as you could be. Mm -hmm. Nothing will hurt him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But is that better? Is it better for Neo to be in the matrix bodily safe than to be rescued into the real world? where now his muscles are atrophied and he can't see very well. And now he's in constant physical danger. And that's an interesting question to ask. Mm -hmm. Was it better for Neo to be in the matrix or out of it? And I think you sort of know, obviously it's better for him to be out of it. Well, we also know it just in general, in some areas of like, just, just in health, you know, you, you need to be exposed to germs and, things that are um, maybe not less, not as, as, as um, maybe potent as earlier COVID was because it helps build your system. Like there's a certain amount of stress that we have to put our bodies under, but only if you plan to expose yourself to continued risk and stress. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is the opposite case. It's Mm -hmm. like if you accept the, proposition that it's better for Neo to be out of the matrix than in it. Mm-hmm. Well, then it's better to be out and in some amount of danger than mm-hmm. it is to be ultimately safe. Yeah. And so what you, if you're going to be out and in danger, it's best to expose yourself to danger incrementally mm-hmm. in a controlled way such that it can strengthen you rather than kill you. Mm. Like even this whole idea of, at the, we, you know, we don't do it much anymore, but at the beginning of the pandemic, it was like, 
there was even songs. It's like, wash your hands, wash your hands. You know, like <laughs> they would invent these 20 second long songs that you're supposed to scrub your hands. And then it turns out that wasn't doing shit because it was spreading it through aerosols anyway. But, um, washing your hands too much is bad for your health because it makes you more susceptible to new germs. Mm -hmm. Like you want germ exposure, but not too much. Yeah. It's like your kids. I mean, you want them to, I mean, you know, you know, obviously when you have your first kid, you're like, Oh my gosh, don't do this. Don't do that. But then it's like, that's actually, they're building their immune system by being exposed to like, I mean, again, like whenever a kid goes to, you know, whether it be preschool or whatever it might be, it's like, usually at the beginning they're sick all the time. Mm -hmm. And then at some point they get sick less and less. Yeah. There's something about being exposed. Same thing with working out too. It's like, you have to like break your muscles down in order to build them up. Right. There's a certain amount of stress you have to be, put yourself under to stay healthy. But then again, the hidden presupposition in there is it's better to be strong than weak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then you have to ask, well, why is it better to be strong? It's better to be strong because you're going to encounter things that require strength. Mm -hmm. That means dangerous things. Yeah. Dangerous things to a weak person. Mm -hmm. So strength and health is preferable because the world is inherently dangerous. Mm. And the stronger you are and healthier you are, the less dangerous the world becomes to you. And it's preferable to be living in the world than to be tucked away in some, you know, human battery pod. Do you think we've forgotten that the world is dangerous or in denial of it? Maybe. Well, I think somehow we got brainwashed into a state where like even Anthony Fauci said last year, uh, no one should get sick ever. Mm -hmm. And this was not a headline. Mm -hmm. Like the person who's supposed to be in charge of our COVID public health response just said the most asinine thing I can think of. Mm -hmm. Like, excuse me, no one should get sick ever. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you're, so you're God now and you're going to wave a wand and, and control everyone's behavior such that this happens. I mean, even if you could behaviorally stop people from getting sick, mm-hmm. I mean, that's to presume for the, in the first place that the reason get, people get sick is because of their behavior. Yeah. Like that was the first, oh, interesting. the first brainwashing I think that happened with COVID is mm-hmm. we went from, you used to get sick and that sucked mm-hmm. and now you get sick and it's your fault. Yeah. It's your behavior that caused you to get sick. You know, I, I saw this. It was, it was really sad. <clears throat> Honestly, it was like, you know, throughout this whole thing. So, you know, I'm, I, I've, I've pretty much the whole entire time I'm out and about in this just with, you know, the shops and I was trying to stay open and alive or not alive, live, but as a business alive <laughs> uh, was that I saw whenever some, some people that were so cautious and trying to do the right thing and they get sick and there was almost a shame that they felt totally. And I was, I was like, no, no, no. I, for me, it was, I, I never saw it that way. I was, I was always kind of like, you know, this is going to happen. You're going to get sick. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of just part of this. And, people and get sick. People get sick. And it's like, you know, and, and again, early on, it's like, if we can prevent it as much as we can, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, we were very cautious in a lot of areas. Um, but it's just sort of the shame that people had when they got COVID, when they were, especially the ones I knew that really went to the extremes in this, you know, and 
it's like, that's just, it's, it's really unhealthy for people to, to kind of see themselves as sort of like, it was my fault that I got sick for some reason or are people around them? would be like, Oh, you know, it's like they weren't careful enough. Right. Yeah. You know, um, you know, or the people that were not like, you know, societally, you know, careful, they were like, Oh, well he deserves it because he wasn't being safe. But then the person who was doing all the things that got sick was like, you know, it, it was sort of like kind of pushed under the rug. It's sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, <laughs> right. like it was okay. Cause they were, they were trying, they did as much as they could to do to, to be there, you know, or to not get it or whatever. It might be. Right. Well, and it bothered me so much at the time. And I think we've forgotten about this now. And I think it's actually set in as the new normal <clears throat> mm-hmm. is that like, it's your fault if you get sick. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a terrible, terrible move for mm-hmm. us to make. Um, well, because we actually need to get sick. Mm-hmm. Like we need to get sick because we need to be exposed to everything that the world is throwing at us so that we can become stronger against it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're going to be overexposed mm-hmm. and that's going to make us sick. Or sometimes we're going to be weaker than we should be. Well, even like where, you know, again, maybe taking this a little bit out of the COVID thing, but there's a, there's a similarity there too. Is like, you know, when I hurt my back, <clears throat> like there was a certain level of fitness that I was, that I was into, you know, but when I hurt my back, it kind of took me to another level of sort of like taking care of my body more than I did before I got, I hurt my back. So I think there's a, there's this sort of idea too, that, you know, as we knew with COVID is sort of like diabetes, uh, weight. Um, uh, there's a lot of other, you know, um, factors that kind of made you more susceptible to having more adverse effects, you know? So sometimes like we, we need that, those sort of wake up calls of sort of like, okay, Hey, if I'm going to be able to go out into the world, I need to achieve a certain amount of health, you know? And, and this is not, there's some people that may, you know, are, lo- are a lot more susceptible, but it's a definitely a smaller percentage of mm-hmm. people. It's, it's, but there's a certain amount that we kind of do need those wake up calls that kind of like, Oh, I need to take care of myself. Like with my right. back, it's sort yeah, of like, totally. I do routines every single day just because I know if I do it, I'll have, I'll have, like I got hurt my back on Monday and I couldn't tie my shoes. And then by Thursday of this, this last week I was able to tie my shoes, but I learned how to take care of myself in a way that, you know, ice packs on my back and doing certain stretches that the recovery time was a lot faster than it usually was in the past when that would happen. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a direct correlation. I'm kind of, I think I might be stretching a little bit there, but I guess the main point that I'm making is that when we have these stressors in our life, whether it being getting sick, that actually helps our immune system. But there's also sometimes like it makes you slow down and maybe consider things. Mm-hmm. It, it pushed, it puts you outside of yourself. So maybe there's some things you need to consider and sometimes being sick. I know that's happened to me. Like I'll get sick and it kind of makes me slow down because I yeah. have to go, go, go. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Sometimes it's a necessary a necessary reset mm-hmm. just like sleeping is. Yeah. And sometimes you need to be slowed down. 
<laughs> I mean, and sometimes we get sick, not, not due to exposure, but due to the fact that we've overly pushed ourselves. Yeah. Not slept enough, mm-hmm. not eaten often enough or well enough. Mm-hmm. And our bodies become weaker mm. and you need that wake up. That's that like your, your body almost says, no, we're going to just sit and fight this cold for a while because you run yourself ragged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like a physical reminder of your body saying, hey, right. fuck you, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> so I arrived at this, this thought at the end of thinking through this on the plane. Um, I was like, what is all of this about? And the, the place I arrived is that I think that freedom is preferable to safety. And I mean this at a societal level. I think that society is healthier, which makes them in a strange way safer, but healthier, happier, more productive. It thrives when it is free. Mm -hmm. So when people are allowed to make their choices and obviously there has to be limiting factors on that. Yeah. But in general, if there is a question, I think I would err err on saying it's better to be free than to be safe because ultimate say, if you, if you play out either, either one, Mm -hmm. because life is full of paradoxes. Yeah. And if you play out either one, like if you say, well, it's, let's be as safe as possible. Well, what's ultimate safety? You kind of arrive at Neo and his pod Mm -hmm. and that's unacceptable. And then you could play it the other way. Well, ultimate freedom. At Mad the Max. limits of ultimate, like what? <laughs> Mad Max. Mad Max, something like this. Something uh-huh. like, and this is why <clears throat> I, I think you and I have been like just really taken with this idea of ordering chaos. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's in the podcast name. Mm-hmm. It's like both are deadly yeah. in their extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't want either. But if there is a question of whether or not it's better to be free or safe, I think freedom is preferable. Mm. I even had this experience uh, this week. Uh, um, I'm trying to think how to say it. So, like my, uh, so I work with this guy that uh, again, I'm not. I'm not speaking politically here. I'm, I'm speaking more of like how we approach things. So, like more liberal-minded people tend to be entrepreneurs and start businesses and more conservative type people are the ones who run businesses because they, you know, order and systems and they, you know, it's like value tradition and what works. Um, you know, more liberal minded people want to break things and want to like try new things and see what, see what might work. (laughs) And it's been fascinating to see that sort of play out with this guy I work with because he'd probably fit more in the conservative mindset, not politically, but, um, but as in running a business and I'm kind of all structured, over, structured, stable, mm-hmm. we can, we can depend on things to still be operating tomorrow. <laughs> totally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, I find it so liberating to have that push and pull, you know, it's like, Oh, interesting. You know, we get along really well and, and it's like, I love that sort of like, you know, the, the line in the sand, like here's the line in the sand. We have to do this. And then I kind of come back and kind of make that line to sand more of a, of a, uh, of a gray area, you know, where that line's <laughs> kind of gone from like, you know, one right. inch thick to like five feet, yeah. you know? And then somewhere in that 
discussion, we kind of come to a place that is a good, is kind of a good try to, to move forward with, you know? Yeah. And I really do appreciate that. I think I, I see that. And again, kind of moving more into the political realm, uh, cause I'm thinking, I'm talking more business conservative or liberal minded, um, is you kind of need that push pull as far as like, here's what works. We're going to keep moving this way. And, you know, we might try some new stuff, but we're going to kind of incrementally bring that in where like, yeah. You're like, no, let's throw it all out. Let's try something totally new, something totally different. <laughs> well, it reminds me so much of, um, well, like just having children mm-hmm. and, and as they've grown older, mm-hmm. thinking about bedtime mm. and this idea of drawing a line in the sand and then you trying to make the line gray. It's like, yeah. that's exactly what children do at bedtime. <laughs> it's like, it's bedtime now. Uh, it's like, okay, good night, dad. Can I have a glass of water? <laughs> okay, good night. Dad. You know, uh-huh. can you run my back? Okay, good night. Dad. You know, and this can go on and on and on. Or it's like bedtime's at 830 and then they argue about it mm-hmm. and argue and argue and argue. And it's like when the children are young enough, life is full of so much chaos all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's in one sense, very beautiful and delightful, but it's also unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And so you need to <clears throat> impose almost arbitrary rules like mm-hmm. a line in the sand bedtime's 8 30 mm-hmm. no argument yeah. no more chaos mm-hmm. you know <laughs> but then what's interesting is I love that. what's interesting is that as they grow older and as bedtime becomes less of a fight mm-hmm. what do you do well you stop imposing the rule mm. because well i don't need to impose the rule anymore there's less chaos during the day I actually don't have to enforce the rule of you going to bed because you go to bed Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's, you know, it used to be like, if we're, if you're fighting me five minutes past bedtime, that's unacceptable Mm. rules hard and fast. But now you're a little bit older and you don't fight me about bedtime. And if we're five minutes late, 10 minutes late, it's no big deal. I don't even need to remember the rule anymore. Mm -hmm. And the older and older you get, it's like, well, not even is there not a rule anymore it's not even talked about. Mm-hmm. It's just, Hey, it's time for bed. Good night. Good night. Did they go to bed? Sometimes I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not a problem because they get up. It's not a problem because there's no more chaos, mm-hmm. you know, and there's exceptions to that. And sometimes yep. shit falls apart. And so you gotta, you know, <laughs> but it, yeah, but it, it makes me think, I think there's something about rules which are by, by their very nature, arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> there aren't rules which are important in and of themselves. Hmm. They're always some sort of tension, tr- like trying to find balance between, between order and chaos or between like, like what is good and you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, should we wear masks? There's a novel coronavirus we don't know what it is. We, you know, it's probably better to be safer than sorry. Mm-hmm. And so we all are very strict about this rule. Was the rule effective? Well, we don't know, but it was worth it mm-hmm. because we're afraid. Then when do you relax the rule? Well, we don't know. We relax it maybe when everyone's okay, but how do we know when everyone's okay? Mm. And you, you figure it out by testing it. Yeah. By saying, is <laughs> You don't, it's like when you, when you sort of stop imposing bedtime, it's not that you, it's not like you sit down with the whole family and say, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. 
It just happens somehow naturally. It happens because it gets tested and it gets tested and found to be unneeded. And it, it sort of <clears throat> quietly fades into the background. Well, it's interesting because it's, it, there's just usually like a bedtime thing specifically, like, um, like our littlest ones go to bed at nine and usually it's nine thirty, really, you know, but like we started at nine knowing that's going to be nine thirty, And then, you know, our oldest, we kind of like at 10 o'clock or really nine thirty, we say like, Hey, okay, brush your teeth. Let's get in bed. And then usually I'll come back around 10. I'm like, all right guys, you know, and that by that time they're going to be in bed by either 10 or 10 30 or something like that, you know? Um, but yeah, it's like, there's a little bit more, like a little bit more leeway, but however, you know, we kind of talked about this earlier, but like if things start not working in the morning, right. It's like, okay, no, you've lost because your the freedom. Co- the cost of that mm-hmm. is higher than the structure can bear to pay. Yeah. It's like, right. we need to bring more order in this because it's, it's leading to more chaos. Right. And I think that's something we've fought. I mean, I think mask is just more of a good metaphor for this whole last two years. Um, like uh, it just—it's been so difficult to engage in these conversations because it, it becomes political really quickly, and 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 where you stand on these issues, it's you're on one side or the other. So it's like, and depending on where you stand, it's like you're either good or evil. And it's like, and I know you and I really—that's that just drives us absolutely crazy. It's like no, it's 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 like we need to test these things mm-hmm. and to know is this right. Okay, for a period of time, I can go along with you on this. Mm-hmm. However, you, some questions need to be answered. You know, like you know, a kid. It's like, hey, I'm 17 now, and you make me go to bed at seven. What's up with that? You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, it's like they're pushing back because something's you're restricting my movement in a way that's kind of stupid like why you know mm-hmm. and they need to experience that going to bed at 1 30 having to get up at well I would, I would make the case that like having a 17 year old go to bed at 7 p.m is somewhat abusive mm. because it is like in a really terrible way denying that child um well one exposure Mm. to consequence mm-hmm. to their own consequence, not your own arbitrary consequence. Yeah, yeah. Cause when children are young, you give them arbitrary consequences mm-hmm. because those are <clears throat> in exchange for real consequences. You know, like this story comes to my mind of my son when he was maybe three mm-hmm. and we were, had this backyard fire <clears throat> going and he kept trying to go up and touch the fire pit. And I was pulling him away and giving him, verbal reprimands and then sort of spanking him a little bit for it. And he kept going and kept going. And finally I thought, well, let him encounter it. Mm -hmm. And he went up and he touched the fire pit and burned the shit out of his hand (laughs) and he never did it again. Uh So it's like, I was trying to replace the real consequence, which was burning his hand Mm -hmm. with an arbitrary one, which was some alternate form of physical pain in the spanking maybe. And, before that, some alternate form of pain by replacing physical pain with verbal pain mm-hmm. as a stand-in. Yeah. But at some point, that um, that replacement becomes abusive because you're limiting that person's freedom. Mm-hmm. And I think we all understand that it's not acceptable to limit a 17-year-old's freedom in the way that it is to limit a 3-year-old's freedom. If I treat the 17-year-old like a 3-year-old... Mm-hmm. it's obvious to us 
that I'm almost abusively um, holding them back. It's like I'm holding them back from, from what? From freedom to experience the world. Freedom to experience the consequences of stay up, staying up late. Freedom from experiencing... I'm taking the freedom from them experiencing those particular hours of the night and everything that comes with that and personal responsibility. Well, that's interesting. So here's, here's kind of where the argument comes to a, there's a sort of like, it seems like there's a short term and long term consequence to this is like you limit people's freedom in some instances in order to protect other people. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's, there's certain things that we do in our society that, that we limit people's freedom because, um, it, it benefits somebody who might not be able to defend themselves or, or whatnot, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's like the police, you know, it's like, you know, they're there to, uh, at the threat of violence, you know, that's kind of ultimately the, the, the power that they have in order to keep most of society civil, you know, ideally that's how it should, should work, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so we're limiting in some regards, people's ability to defend themselves by that's not your job. That's the police's job to protect and defend you. How so? How do we limit people's ability to, to defend themselves? Well, I mean, we live in Texas, so there's a little, (laughs) there's a little, but like, I mean, again, it's like, uh, you know, Uh, you know, drastic measures, you know, someone uh, is going to steal your car and you shoot them or something like that, you know, well, you would probably go to court and there would be, you know, something, you know, you'd have to go through some, some sort of evaluation on whether that was a, whether you were used the correct amount of force for that situation, you know, or, um, uh, you know, um, now I'm drawing a brain blank. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's explore that for a minute. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, the idea of limiting freedom in order to ensure civil society, mm-hmm. let's say, I mean, what are some examples of that? Um, I mean, do you think taxes could fit in there? Like you, we, we impose a certain amount of restriction on you and your income in order to benefit the rest of society. So whether or not you directly benefit from those taxes that you pay, the society as a whole benefits from those, mm-hmm. those taxes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I guess we're limiting the government limits the amount of money that you make in order to benefit the whole Maybe that's too abstract. Well, <clears throat> that seems to me like a whole different subject. Hmm. Okay. So I'm thinking about restrictions on freedom. Mm-hmm. And I do think that taxation is a restriction on freedom, but in maybe a much more convoluted way. Yeah. A little more it's, abstract. it's harder to understand it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm thinking maybe more like driving laws. Like start. <laughs> sure. Let's mm-hmm. go driving laws. For, well, let's start with murder. Let's say. Okay. You, you can't start with murder. You can't murder. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Is that a limit on someone's freedom or a restriction on someone's freedom? Like, am I less free because I'm not allowed to kill you? Mm. 
Well, I mean, again, I think how we set it up in the United States, there's, there's, cause I mean, first degree, second degree, third degree murder, you know, it's like also then defense, you know, was this person. So there's a court system to kind of like, cause what is what, like, what it's not what? clear yeah. mm-hmm. if two people are in a place and one person ends up dead. It's not exactly obvious, <laughs> you know, what happened. Yeah. Was this self-defense or was this, did this person kill another person or did this person murder somebody? Like those are two different words. Like to kill somebody and murder somebody is, is, is completely different. Okay. But take the example of like, I just walk up and shoot you in the head. Mm-hmm. Like obvious first degree murder. Yeah. And deemed to be so mm-hmm. through the court process. Yeah. Okay. Is that a valid restriction on my freedom? Yes. Okay. I agree. And now I wonder why. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I mean, again, as a society, like we it seems value self, life. Yeah, it seems self-evident. It does seem self-evident, yeah. But it gets more difficult when you start applying trying to apply this to other, like let take driving laws, for mm-hmm. example. So, yeah. you know, I wonder what con, I mean, the argument against ultimate freedom is something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, you could take like the Thanos example, mm. you know, if you had ultimate freedom <clears throat> and ultimate power, which is sort of comes along with ultimate freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's the claim that we're making with murder, which is, if you have ultimate freedom and the power to do what you want to do, Mm -hmm. that's a bad situation, right? Mm -hmm. Like Thanos shouldn't be able to kill off half the world. Yeah. It seems self-evident that that's not acceptable, Mm -hmm. but it, it actually kind of isn't. And why we need sort of meditations on this through story. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know where we're going with this. I, I find either. it super fascinating I, yeah. and also a bit out of my depths. I, I, we're totally out of our depths, but yeah. I think this is like, this is also so we could go to driving laws. Well, I mean, I think driving laws are, are very interesting. Like you know, like I, I'm again, I think I'm a very safe driver, and it's like I can I could possibly drive it. I no, I know I can drive at speeds and do things that my daughter can't. My daughter just uh-huh. started driving, right? And so I see that having laws it helps her to better navigate the system better because here's what you do and what you cannot do and it, it's like like it's like training wheels on a bike for the most part and you know but is it like does that mean she's does that mean like i'm more or less safe or the people around me more or less safe you know it's like i think that's i think that's somewhat arbitrary in some regards however well, in that case, I actually think that, so you could look at driving laws, traffic laws mm-hmm. as a restriction on your freedom. Mm-hmm. Like I would like to go through this intersection, but this fucking red light <laughs> is telling me I can't, it's mm-hmm. restricting my freedom to go through this intersection. <laughs> right. But I think that that, that restriction on my freedom is actually what allows me to even drive in the first place. True. Yeah. Because if there wasn't, cause it's it's not exactly a restriction as much as it is an agreement Mm-hmm. that I have with every other car on the road. Yeah. And if we didn't have that agreement, no one would be able to drive at all because it would be pure chaos. There would be wrecks happening constantly and you wouldn't be able to get anywhere. 
because the roads would be clogged and then it would just be like, what's the point in having a car? It's not helping me at all. Right. So you need, you need that, that sort of, that level of agree societal agreement that mm. I'm going to drive on the right and you're going to drive on the left, which I think is an interesting one. Cause you could say, well, we're going to restrict your freedom to drive where you want on the road. <laughs> But it isn't as if anyone wants to drive on the left side of the road. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. I've never been out and thought this would be much more fun if I could drive on that side <laughs> of the road. It's like, you don't want to, cause you know, there, that way lies death uh-huh. and you don't want to do it. Yeah. And, and that way lies death because of the agreement that we've made. Well, it's interesting. It, it, it seems that again, this is a, a way that we play this out in society, almost kind of going back to your first example of like not wearing your mask is like, you know, you start driving on the left-hand side of the road, it's like you're going to get honked at and, you know, probably get in a wreck, you know. And so you try it more than one time, you can get your license revoked or the consequences of your action are are pretty... Immediately apparent. Immediately apparent, yeah. And so we can probably all agree, it's like, no, those, those are good laws to have. You you know, they drive on the left, I drive on the right, you know. It's like um, vice versa, you know, and... Um, that that's that's but you're trying it out in society and you're seeing what works you know and and i think that's something that you know with the mass stuff right now we're saying like okay we're kind of done this omicron thing was like we've we've all kind of seen that it wasn't as bad did people die yes i mean that that that, i think that's the hardest thing people always throw that out there it's like but at some point we have to move into whatever regular society is again you know And there's a certain of resistance to it that almost people are going, wait a minute. Like, I don't think I'm okay with this. Yeah. Like, well, it's, it's not even that. I mean, that wasn't my experience in the airport. It wasn't people saying I'm not okay with this. Mm-hmm. It was people saying, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Like you, this person walking down the, you know, those people eating dinner without masks. I don't care. Yeah. More than that, that person walking down the tarmac mm-hmm. with the mask up below their chin because they're on the phone i don't care Mm -hmm. this other person not wearing it all it's like there's no difference Mm -hmm. i don't really care i'm not going to say anything yeah and i'm that person might still wear theirs or whatever but they're just like whatever Mm -hmm. um but there's a great maybe convergence between our mask and our mask conversation and the uh driving laws traffic laws conversation and i i think about it every morning (laughs) when i take my girls to school okay which is that well, I think I, I, we started this conversation. I was trying to make it uh, a, a point about the difference between agreed upon behavior and actual human behavior. Yeah. And at the point, actual human behavior diverges. Mm-hmm. The agreed upon behavior is irrelevant. Oh, interesting. Okay. And the traffic example of this <laughs> is four-way stop signs. Uh-huh. Because the way people behave at a four-way stop sign leads me to believe that no one knows the rules of the four-way stop sign. I do. Yes, I know you do. (laughs) And I think when pressed, everyone actually does. But no one behaves as if they do. Interesting. Because you pull up to a stop, a four-way stop. Mm -hmm. And if you're paying attention, you know exactly who's supposed to go next. Mm -hmm. But what happens? Yeah. You, you look up and you're like about to go and you're checking everybody else out and the person on your right waves to you. Oh yeah. That's always bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <laughs> no, sorry. 
the rule dictates that you're supposed to go first yeah. because you stopped a half second before I did and you're on the right. Mm-hmm. But people don't behave that way. They behave as if it's etiquette yeah, totally. that, that determines the rules of the four-way stop. And it's like, no, there are actual rules. They're not that difficult. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. I don't need your wave. Yeah. I don't need Actually, etiquette. your wave f- fucks everything up. It makes it less efficient, mm-hmm. right? But people don't behave that way. Yeah. And so I, I finally came to the place where I was like, <sighs> is, <laughs> so the solution is either, well, pay attention to the way people behave or tyrannically proclaim some law like everyone needs to take a test on the rules of the four-way stop sign every six months in order to keep their license <laughs> totally, right uh-huh, uh-huh. and like my personality i'm like that would be great i'd love that <laughs> i don't want to have to like pay attention to you mm-hmm. i would rather just rely on the rules but also mm-hmm. i sound like an asshole when i say that <laughs> because i just said i don't have to pay attention to you mm-hmm. right yeah and that's not a way to live in society mm. like you should pay attention to other people yeah you should be paying attention to them because back to the previous point, rules are arbitrary. What's real, what's meaningful is your relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's much better to pay attention to people at the expense of the rules mm-hmm. than it is to demand that people follow the rules so that I don't have to notice them. Mm. Yeah, it goes back to your earlier point before the podcast. Like, you know, Jesus talks about like the uh, uh, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, it's like this idea of like, you know, there's these things that are here to benefit of us and sort of facilitate something specifically, but it's for our benefit, not for us to serve or be a slave to whatever rule it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think there's, there's ebbs and yeah, flows. Of exactly. This. It's, it's, there's ebbs and flows. Of there's certain times it's like, no, everybody's doing this right now. Like, you know, <laughs> I could just, but I'm saying this now I'm seeing like everybody going to bed right now. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Right. In bed. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's like, but if I did that every night, that's like tyrannical, you right. know, but you know, this night specifically, I just need to everything to stop. You know, right. <laughs> you know, like everybody just go to bed, you know, it's like, you know, and that's, that's something that, you know, I, th- I feel like with COVID it was the same way. It's like, everybody go to bed, <laughs> wear your mask. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, it's like, and now everyone's kind of coming out of it. Sort of like, well, hey. and I, I had another thought while I was on the airplane about that exact same thing mm-hmm. because I was at some point the, the captain came on and said, Hey, we're about to experience some turbulence. It's only going to last about 10 minutes. And, you know, after that should be, you know, smooth sailing, smooth flying, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to turn the, the, the seatbelt sign on and, uh, you know, we'll be good soon, whatever. So like 15 minutes pass passes. There's a little bit of turbulence, 15 minute passes. It's been smooth for a while. And I like, I had to pee really bad mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there like bad enough where I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? I got to solve this problem. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm kind of looking down the aisle, like to see if I can make eye contact with the stewardess and like give her the, the like, well, I I would sort of like use my mouth, but you know, the mask thing, actually, I don't think I had a mask on, but then that made me think more about the mask and how, how much that's like affecting us in ways that we're not really Mm -hmm. cognizant of yet. Um, but you know, Hey, he's like, is it okay if I go to the bathroom, seatbelt signs on whatever. 
never could make eye contact with them. And so at some point I was like, I'm, I'm going to make a judgment for myself here, Mm -hmm. which is that the plane has been smooth for a while, way longer than, you know, he originally said there was going to be turbulence. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to the bathroom. If it's dangerous, I'm sure the flight attendant will tell me, and then her and I will probably have, you know, a negotiation, a negotiation <laughs> about this, right? Uh-huh. Like, is the danger worse than the danger of you peeing your pants? Cause this is a real, <laughs> it's a real thing. Right. Um, so I go up and I use the bathroom on the way there. I see her. Mm-hmm. She looks at me. I look at her. We smile. No problem. Okay. And so I thought, well, okay, what is, what are we doing with this seatbelt sign anyway? You know, it's on, I disobeyed it. It was fine. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is the seatbelt sign there for then? And I thought, well, it's there because it needs to be there. And it's not about controlling individual behavior necessarily. It's like, it, it's okay that I used the bathroom. Now, if 30 people tried to use the bathroom at the same time, now you've got two people in the two airport airplane bathrooms, <laughs> you know, and 28 others standing in the aisle, mm-hmm. like, <clears throat> the risk of damage to human life if there is additional turbulence has now gone exponential. Mm-hmm. And so like seatbelt sign is there for that situation. Yeah. And I thought this is the same thing as like, uh, your car registration sticker. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, is it really important that you get pulled over and ticketed for that being expired? No. Is it important that not every single car on the road is completely dangerous. Yes. Like, where's the line? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to set the line arbitrarily. And you know what? You can probably get away. It's like you're driving <laughs> like a brand new, a one-year-old car and the registration's out. It's like, we all know mm-hmm. that you just need to go pay the thing and it's fine. Yeah. Like mine's, mine's from uh, 1120. <clears throat> 11. 2020. You haven't gotten your registration renewed in two years. <laughs> okay. Perfect example. Cause I know your car. Yeah. It's brand new. It's brand new. Mm-hmm. It's like, or two years old. Yeah. Right. If you got ticketed, it would simply be an annoyance. Yeah. Right. Whereas I actually own a car that's, uh, 34 years old. Oh, the Mercedes or the, it's a, a old BMW. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if that registration's out, there's probably a valid reason why that might be a problem because mm-hmm. that car, you know, doesn't meet, let's say it's likely that that car doesn't meet a bunch of like emission standards. And it's likely that it has issues, which we might deem to be dangerous enough that that's a problem. And mm-hmm. we want to make sure that that gets fixed. And so, so that it can stay on the road mm-hmm. safely, because again, we have this agreement about driving with each other that exists to allow us to drive at all. Yeah. Um, so the registration sticker is a bit like the seatbelt sign. Hmm. You can break it, obviously, in your case, <laughs> successfully for two years, and it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> but if everybody uh, tried to break it, it would be a big deal. Yeah. So every once in a while, you have to pay an arbitrary cost, mm-hmm. which is accept the ticket mm-hmm. for the thing that didn't really matter, Yeah. such that we can continue on with the agreement that allows us all to be here in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it's like an arbitrary rule 
and an arbitrary check on your freedom in order that you can continue to be free. Yeah. Something like that. Especially like the, you know, again, the guy who is way into cars and is always tuning his car, you know, it's like that is completely arbitrary. You know, he can, he can have a justified argument like, but I do this every single day and I change my oil three times a week, you know, whatever it might be. It's like, it's like, but the law doesn't care. It's like, no, this is the law. And I think that's, I think that's, there are certain things that we accept that that's, that's the way things are. But I think that's the part that we kind of, we continue need to check, put in check is like, well, how far do we go? Like how far is that sort of some maybe arbitrary laws that are for our general protection? When do they become arbitrary? You know, when do they become useless? Well, and so maybe how do we get rid of those? Yes. And then maybe this comes back to my original question, Mm -hmm. which is if everyone in the group doesn't want to do it, is it moral Mm. to require them to? And I think that I think I have a hard time with you using the word moral. Well, Okay. How do you see it? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just when you, when you say moral, I kind of like, I feel like that puts too much. Uh, I don't know. Like I would, I would think maybe like, like it's, it's not really effective anymore. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what problem I have with them. The mm-hmm. moral, the moral part of it. All right. Well, let me do, let me try like to murder. I could be like like okay. There's a moral side of murder, you know. But like with a mask mandate or something like that, it's like, is it a moral thing? Like I would think of mask as more of an effect effect effectiveness. You know, it's like how effective is it? If it's, is it effective or not? If it's not effective, <clears throat> then let's not do let's not do this thing. You know. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's take it back to the the question maybe social the maybe. question mm-hmm. that you you made, um, which is how arbitrary is too arbitrary? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that, you know, when everyone involved says we don't want to do this anymore mm. and maybe what they say they don't want to do anymore is obviously dangerous. Hmm. Oh, actually, but it, what they're saying is we've, the arbitrary nature of the rule has become too arbitrary for our, well, preference. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get into, I think, like philosophical risk almost. Yeah, yeah. preference of risk, like philosophical ideas of well, who should set risk? Because mm-hmm. there's no such thing as no risk. Yeah. So who decides when it's too much? Mm-hmm. And if you say, well, a person decides or an institution decides, well, that's simple tyranny. Mm-hmm. That's just simple control, and no one likes it, mm-hmm. and no one will tolerate it. They'll tolerate it for a while but eventually they'll revolt. Mm-hmm. So I would say at the point that they revolt, that is the vote that's cast that says this is immoral. Mm-hmm. This is unacceptable. The line of arbitrariness has been pushed yeah. and we're not going to stand for it anymore. And, you know, I think as I mean, maybe this is one of our problems is, um, well, humans in general is it, it seems really obvious to us mm-hmm. where the lines of morality are when you look back in history. Yeah. But it wasn't our, it wasn't, um, obvious to the people at the time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Well, even take like today, like, you know, I'm hearing a lot of language of, uh, Putin and the Ukraine and, uh, was it, I think, 
I think Hitler and Poland, I think it was. It might have been a, a, another country, but sort of like, okay, we'll give you that one. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, there's a, there's a similar talk around that. And again, I always have a hard time with this because I, I think so many things have been uh, blown out of proportion lately that <clears throat> I don't really trust a lot of the um, uh, narrative around this whole idea. But yeah, it's, it's, <clears throat> I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like we just arrived at a place where there's like 35 offshoots that I we know. could follow. That's true. <clears throat> well, I think, I mean, again, I think with our conversation tonight, we, I think you and I are, are kind of pushing against some, some ideas that are very gray and it's like, mm-hmm. where do you, where do you fall on this, on these subjects. And it's not just to say where you fall. It's like, I mean, you and I have fallen in different areas along the subject along the way. So like definitely very willing to do the mass thing in the beginning. And at some point I was less and less wanting to acquiesce to the mass thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, <clears throat> so it's like this great, well, well, what made it, what changed and 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 that whole progression to where I am now, it's like no, like right now, it's like it's like we don't need them. It's like I, I don't see, I don't see why we're still doing this. Right. I think you and I's personal risk tolerance is definitely higher for sure. Has come to the place where we're like, mm-hmm. I don't see a justifiable reason for me to participate in this. Well, also you except, and I's, except for a relational one. Yeah, you and I's risk tolerance is very high in general. In general, and. Yeah we definitely had, we were willing to acquiesce at that, at the beginning of stages and somewhere into the middle, but it's like, you know, that's great. What's that? Well, I was thinking about trying to wrap this up with what you said about you and your, uh, coworker. And it's like, he draws a, a, a line in the sand. It's like, here it is. And you go, well, maybe it's more gray, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of take a brush and like expand that line, mm-hmm. you know, which is annoying to him <laughs> probably. Well, not but, really. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Well, well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like, I find that I have to be more the, 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 the line drawer, but that's not natural to me mm-hmm. where it's almost, it's almost feels like, oh, wow. This, it's almost a relief to me to have someone to draw lines yeah. because I'm more natural to to look at the gray. Right. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, he draws a line Mm -hmm. and it's obviously annoying to you because you make it gray. Otherwise you wouldn't. And then you make it gray. And that's in some level annoying to him because, well, dude, I drew a line. (laughs) I drew that for a purpose. Uh Right. And then you go and check that. Uh But the thing is you both need to do that Mm -hmm. because it's like, was he right in drawing the line? Mm-hmm. Was he perfectly exact in where that line should be? Yeah. Is anyone? <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Which is why you make it gray. Uh-huh. Were you right to make it gray? In that sense, yes. But you weren't, you, you weren't all, also, you were obviously not um, accurate in achieving where the line should be either because it was gray. And so, yeah. Then you, te- in this tension, you test it out. Because ultimately you have to draw a line. Well, ultimately you have to draw a line and then you have to correct the line. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah, you totally. need and you need somebody to come come along after you've drawn the line and say, well, maybe it should be here and here and here and here and like put some like expand the boundaries mm-hmm. and then you test out where it might should be and you find the most functional one. And I think there's this um, one of my favorite TED talks is uh, School Kills Creativity mm. by Sir. I wanted to say Richard Branson. It's definitely not the Virgin Galactic guy. Robert, oh, I forget his name. It's it's a fantastic TED Talk. He's mm-hmm. hilarious and insightful and um, brilliant. But he makes this point about how children, like if you, give, you come up with this like thought experiment, like how many things can you do with a pencil? And an adult will imagine a pencil. You know, it's four inches long. It's made of wood. It has graphite in the middle. You know, it's about a quarter inch in uh, diameter, Mm -hmm. but a child would be like, okay, what if it's made of rubber and two stories tall? And you know, it's like the parameters are off. Mm -hmm. And this reminds me of something. I think, I don't know if we said this on the podcast, but I think I definitely said it to you, which is that creativity isn't very functional. It's like, well, what's the child going to do with a two story tall rubber pencil? <laughs> like it's not very functional. At some mm-hmm. point, someone's got to come along and be like, sorry, it doesn't get to be two stories tall. Yeah. <laughs> they, I'll give you rubber, you know, uh, but in order for us to functionally move forward. And when I use that word functionally, I mean, very seriously, like it needs to be productive. If, mm-hmm. if you and I are going to come together and try to work on a, well, first of all, establish a problem at all mm-hmm. and then work on that problem. We have to establish boundaries with which in, with, within which that can happen. Hmm. Otherwise, nothing at all happens. Hmm. And so you need people to draw lines and you need people to push those lines because the lines that are drawn won't be perfect. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me of, you know, well, back to the COVID thing. So we can say, well, we trust the science. All right. Show me the perfect scientist. Yeah. The scientist who has never drawn a line that has been inaccurate at all. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's almost like the, it's almost like the, uh, MO of a scientist. It's like they draw lines in order to be wrong. <laughs> right. It's like, where am well, I and wrong? It makes me think well, I have about, to draw a line in order to know where I'm wrong. Right. So who's the perfect line drawer? Mm-hmm. And I think that all of the religious endeavor Mm-hmm. is to try to imagine who the perfect line drawer is. Mm. I mean, that's the, that's Jesus Christ in mm-hmm. Christianity. Mm-hmm. And what does Jesus Christ come to do? Draws the line of the sand. <laughs> well, no, I think he frees you from the line of the sand. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I guess... I mean, I uh, he draws one final yeah. <laughs> line and frees you from all the other lines. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like he says, all of the old laws, mm-hmm. you're free from those. Yeah. There's now a single one. Mm-hmm. And even that one's a bit of a gray one. It's like, how do you cross that line? Yeah. What does he say? Believe in me and you will be in the kingdom of heaven today. Mm-hmm. What the fuck does that mean? Or even like how he summed all the laws up into love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor. That's the single law. That's a single law. Well, right. how do you do that? <laughs> right. So he went and took all the very defined lines, which were all wrong mm-hmm. and made it right by drawing a single line that we see as blurry, Mm -hmm. but maybe once you've crossed it, it seems very clear. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do with that, but all of this to say, (laughs) 
freedom <laughs> freedom is preferable to safety. Rules are arbitrary. You need a tension between the lawn line drawers and the line blurrers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Well, I just like tension in general, so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, so do you. <laughs> uh, oh, it feels so good. It's it like does. a drug. I uh, know, it really is. It's like, I, th- I think that's whenever I come across line drawers that are open are just so relieving to me. You know, even mm-hmm. line drawers are not open. It's like, oh, you think that like, okay, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? <laughs> what gives you something to operate around? Exactly. Yeah. But that's the thing is like, I think that's the value of line drawers. You, which need, is, you need definition in, in order to think at all, which is, it's just really fascinating. Even in this, this current age is usually the politically speaking, conservatives are usually line drawers and liberals are more of the, like the black, you know, the more gray area. Mm-hmm. And it's almost reversed. It's like almost liberals have become conservatives and conservatives have become liberals. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's wild. It's like, I mean, uh, uh, um, I want to say Neil Armstrong, uh, Neil Young. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like On Spotify. He's this yeah. guy who was like in the sixties was like the gray area guy, you know, and here he is in his older years. Now the line drawer, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just really funny. I was like, but I mean, again, it, he makes you think like, I mean, that, that's something I think is valuable. What, what happened with that was just like, well, wait a minute. What? Like, who is this Joe Rogan guy? And I, I saw some people like say like, oh, I didn't listen to him beforehand, but now I do. And I, man, he's really, <laughs> it's really great conversation, you know? Yeah. Anyways, we hmm. can probably keep going on this. I mean, obviously we will. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's leave it there. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming out to the shores. Thanks for being my line blur. Line blur. <laughs> well, how does that work? You and I both are kind of line blurs. I, are we? Well, well, you, you kind of are more... Okay, of the two. Like, if, if you compare you and I to most other people, we're both line blurs. But I think of the two of us, you are more of a liner. A liner. Like, yeah. Line drawer. Line drawer. Line drawer. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. We'll, I don't know. We'll work this out after we'll the podcast. Out. All right. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Cheers, Cheers. Good night. <laughs>